called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and your waves and your billows passed over me. I'm driven from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land where bars closed upon me forever. Yes, you brought my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the great fish. Great fish, go vomit my servant Jonah. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Hi, everyone. Welcome to you. For those of you at the 95th campus, a special welcome to you as well. We're glad you're here with us today. We started a series last week at the Compass entitled Surrender, which is really the story of the Old Testament prophet Jonah and the process that he's going through in his life of saying yes to God and no to self. And you know what? If we're honest, each and every one of us, we could substitute our names to this story, can't we? We're all in a process between saying no to ourselves and what we want in and of ourselves and saying yes to the will of God in our lives. And just by way of review, the first 16 verses in the book of Jonah were action-packed. We saw the prophet Jonah get his assignment from God to go to Nineveh and to preach to that group of people, a great city in the Assyrian Empire, some 500 miles away from his hometown. And what did he say? No, I'm not going. And he runs away. And he really runs away, remember? He goes to the utter ends of the world. The known world during that time, Tarshish, southwestern Spain. He he goes all the way to run away from God's will in his life. And God meets him right there in the middle of him running away. And he causes a storm to come on the waters. Do you remember? And that storm, we said, if you could name it today, it would be called mercy. Mercy. Because God met him in his running away, in his disobedience, and showed him grace and favor and stopped him in his tracks. And then we see him thrown overboard and all the guys on the ship praying and asking God to to save their lives. And the storm is quieted. And that's where we meet our friend Jonah today in the second part of this series, Surrender. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn them on or turn them open to the book of Jonah And we're going to continue today in our series, Surrender, by looking at chapter 1, verse 17, through chapter 3, verse 1. God, I ask that you would come and visit us today. That you would speak fresh and new through your word to each one of us. That you would meet us right where we're at. And that you would do through your word what only you can do. To restore us, to renew us, to encourage us. In Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. 
And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The word appointed there in your Bible is the Hebrew word manah. It means to set apart, to orchestrate. And so literally we see that God is orchestrating a a, a great fish to come and swallow up Jonah. And the word fish, by the way, doesn't mean well. Most of us, we grew up learning about Jonah and the nowhere in the scriptures does it say well. It may have been a well. But the Hebrew word used here for fish is just a great sea creature. So get the picture here in verse 17. God has appointed, he's set apart, he's orchestrated for this great fish to swallow up Jonah. Now this verse, if we're honest, right, and we can be honest in this place, this verse is one of the most controversial verses in all the scriptures. Because people say, how could that happen? And is this really historical? And I want to just point out two things in answer to that question. The first is from 2 Kings, the 14th chapter, Jonah is listed as an historical figure along with all the other leaders and patriarchs and kings in Israel. So he's an historical figure. He's documented in the chronicles of Israel. But also, you may find it interesting that Jesus had something to say about Jonah. Did you know that? Jesus talked about Jonah. This is what he said, Matthew, the 12th chapter. Verses 38 through 41, some of the scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And he said, Only an evil and adulterous generation asked to see a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus continues by saying, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. And the reason why is because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. But behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Isn't that great? I don't know about you, but when you rise from the dead and you say something's true, I just, that's who I go with. So if Jesus says that Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, and what is he comparing it to? Don't miss this. He's comparing it to the resurrection. That Jonah is a what? It's a foreshadowing of what's to come. That just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so Jesus some 700 years later will be in the belly of the earth and will resurrect from the dead. Now, Here's what Tim Keller says about how we view God and especially things like this in the Bible. He says, if your God, the God that you worship, never does anything or says anything through his word that causes you to struggle, then you may not be worshiping the one true God. If God doesn't do anything in your life that causes you to go, man, how'd you do that? How did that happen? I don't understand. In fact, In my finite mind, I'm struggling with this. If that never happens to you, can can I just say this? You might not be worshiping the one true God. You might be worshiping a God of your own making. I, I know that hurts a little bit, but a lot of times we create God into our image instead of God creating us into his image. And God seems to have the same accent that we have, and he always votes the same way we vote, and he pulls for all the teams that we pull for. And he has all the opinions that we have. You get what I'm saying? God sometimes does things 
intentionally, not just in the scriptures, but in our own lives, that calls us to struggle. And this is one of them. When we look at it, we go, how could that happen? And all I can say is, it was a miracle. And here's, here's the greater purpose, right? In understanding the whole idea of the fish and God swallowing him and pointing this, this great sea creature to come and, and rescue Jonah. It, it, it wasn't to get Jonah back, right? This wasn't to punish Jonah. This was to get Jonah back. Don't miss this. The purpose of the fish was to rescue. Picture this in your mind's eye. You're in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, right? Between Israel and Tarshish. You're in the middle of this place, in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm. There is no Coast Guard. They're not coming. If God doesn't send a great fish, what's going to happen to Jonah? He's going under. The purpose of the fish was to rescue Jonah. That's the whole deal, to get Jonah back. Many of us, if we're honest, and again, this is a place where I think we can be honest. If we can't be honest here, we can't be honest anywhere. Many of us, even as Christians, still believe in Christian karma. You know what I'm talking about? If I do these things then God will do these things. And if I don't do these things, then God won't do these things. In other words, I get what I deserve. And that feels right. But that's not grace. Romans 5 verse 6 said, just the right time when we were still sinners, ungodly, running away, Christ died for us. That God demonstrated his love for us in this, verse 8, that he died for us, ungodly people who weren't all dressed up, who weren't deserving of his grace. Karma says you get what you deserve. Grace says not only do you not get what you deserve, which is punishment and eternal separation from God, but you get what you never could earn on your own to become a son, to become a daughter, to become an object of God's love and his faithfulness. Don't miss this in the story, please. This is not just a story about a, a whale who comes and swallows up a guy and punishes him. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with God coming and rescuing the person that he loved and that he was still faithful to, even in his disobedience. Paul says it this way, even when we are faithless, watch this, even when we are faithless, he is what? Faithful. You are forgiven because of the grace of God and who he is, not because of what you've done. The gospel is this. Don't miss it. Here's the gospel. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for every single one of us. And if it's grace plus something else, it's not grace. It's either do or done. I either have to do all these things or God has done it. And if we're honest, many of us still as Christians, we believe in this karma type thing that I have to do all these things. And if I don't do it, God's going to get me. And when we read a story like this, we think, see, God got him. He didn't do what God, God wanted him to do. And then God came and swallowed him up and we missed the whole point of the story. This is grace 101 in verse 17 here. This is God coming and miraculously rescuing the person that he loves. And guess what, guys? He does it for us too. 
right in the middle. We talked about the gap last week between saying yes to God and yes to self, and most of us live right in that gap. Are you with me? And the process of surrendering to self and saying yes to God, right in the middle of that gap, literally right in the middle of the ocean, God comes and meets Jonah and rescues him in this miraculous way that we're talking about almost 3,000 years later. The story of God's grace. And Jesus, by the way, equates it, what? Directly to his resurrection. This is how powerful this story is. God coming to rescue his people, to rescue us. And the fish was just a mode of transportation back to God. That's what the fish was, pure and simple. This is not a story about a great fish. This is a story about a great God. The fish is just a mode of transportation, of getting Jonah back to where he needed to be. Not only knowing who he was, but knowing whose he was and where he was going. I heard a story about Dr. Albert Einstein who was on his way to a conference and he was traveling by train and the steward came through one of the cars and was checking tickets and as he got to uh, Dr. Einstein, Einstein couldn't find his ticket. And the steward stood there and finally he recognized Dr. Einstein and said, Dr. Einstein, I, I know who you are. Don't, don't worry about it. I know who you are. And he went on checking different tickets throughout the car. And the steward turned around and he looked back and here's Einstein down on his hands and knees looking all over for his ticket. And the steward goes back and says, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. You don't, you don't, don't worry about the ticket. And Einstein answers him back, son, I know who I am too, but I need to remember where I'm going. You got to know who you are before you know where you're going. Jonah remembers who he is. I'm a Hebrew. I believe in the Lord God. I remember my assignment. And now he's got to get back to where he needs to be in his life. And watch this, gang. For each and every one of us, it starts with remembering and knowing who you are in Jesus. That you are a son that you are a daughter of the living high God. And then you begin to order everything else in your life around that. If you begin to set out on your destination, on your journey, without knowing who you really are, you're going to find yourself in a storm very quickly. Jonah remembers who he is. The fish becomes this mode of transportation. And here's what Jonah realizes, and it's a great truth from this story that each of us needs to realize too. It's better... Watch this. It's better to be in the belly of a great fish going in the right direction towards God's will than it is to be in the belly of a boat going in the wrong direction away from God. It's better to be in a smelly, dark, dank, confusing place headed back towards the will of God and saying yes to him through surrender than it is to be in the safest place in the world but going in the wrong direction. Anybody with me? Sometimes your circumstances will lie to you. Sometimes you'll look around and just think, I'm, I'm going to determine God's will for my life by just feeling how things are going. One of the popular myths around the gospel now is something called the prosperity gospel. Everything should be going great in your life if you're following Jesus. How'd that work out for the disciples? How'd that work out for Jesus? Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. 
And oftentimes it's when you hit rock bottom that you realize that God is your rock. It's when you come to the end of your rope. Are you with me? You come to the end of your rope in your life, relationally, in your marriage, financially, whatever it might be, that you realize God is really the only one I need because guess what? He's really the only one I have. And for Jonah, out here in the middle of the ocean, nobody else is coming to his rescue. Nobody else could do what God could do. And in the middle of our state where we are, in our own sinful natures, nobody else can do what God has done for us in our lives. Nobody. Every other world religion in some form or fashion says that a teacher came to teach you, whatever their name might be in the world religion, to teach you how to live a better life, a a more moral life, to teach you how to grow closer to God and to walk closer to God through your actions. Only Christianity says God came to us to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. This is the gospel. This is what's happening in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. God is swallowing up, literally, Jonah with his grace. And it's better to be swallowed up by God's grace than it is to swim in our own self. Our own actions, our own moral goodness, our own pride. We're drowning in it. And God comes and rescues us through the cross by his grace, and swallows us up with his love and grace. And here's Jonah's response, the second part of our story today. Chapter 2, verse 1 and following. Then Jonah did what? He prays. This is Jonah's response in the belly of the fish. He calls out to God saying, Lord, I called out to you out of my distress. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, God. He says, I was drowning. I was in a sea. Flood waters surrounded me. The waves were passing over me. I was driven away from your sight, yet I'll look again upon your holy temple. Waters closed over me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweeds wrapped around my head. I was drowning, and I cried out, the prayer that God loves to hear the most. Do you remember it? Help! Billy Graham said his favorite prayer and most significant prayer that he has ever prayed in his life is, God, would you help me? God, help me. Help! This past week, I'm sitting on the back porch with my my son, who's eight, and we were having a discussion and it was becoming a little bit more heated as the minutes went by in our discussion. And finally, he stomped his foot and turned around to walk off in defiance. And before I could get a word out of my mouth, he literally, it just happened so quick, he turned around and a chair was right behind him and just right in his mouth. And he came running back to me. Daddy, 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 mouthful of blood. Daddy, 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 am I okay? Am I okay? Is my tooth still there? Is my tooth still there? Yep, your tooth's still good. You're, you're good, man. Your tooth's still there. Daddy, help me. And I remembered, even in my disobedience, even when I'm frustrated, even when I don't understand, I can say a simple prayer and my daddy hears me. Help. And always receives me. This is what Jonah's saying. And look here in verse six. He's crying out to God. He's telling God to help him. And he says, you brought my life out from the pit. 
When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. It reached you, God. Those who pray to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. Don't miss that verse. Verse 8, chapter 2 of Jonah's prayer. Those who pray to vain idols. What does he mean? Those who pray to other gods other than the one true God. Those who pray to the God of self. Those who pray to the God of people pleasing. Those who pray to the God of finances. Those who pray to the God of the government. Those who pray to you fill in the blank. They pray in vain and what do they do? They forsake the steadfast love of God. Nobody loves you like your daddy in heaven, guys. Nobody. Nobody has a love for you and has demonstrated that love for you like your father in heaven. That's what Jonah's saying. He says in verse 9, But with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you, God. Now remember, this is all from the belly of a fish. With a voice of what? Thanksgiving. If you were in the belly of a smelly fish, what would you be doing? Singing and giving thanks? You would if you knew your life had been rescued. Those who know they need grace the most are able to receive it and give it the most. You know that? Then Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who know they need grace in their lives. Jonah knew his need, and he's saying, I'm going to give you thanks, God, even though this is really strange. The way that you chose to rescue me is weird. Granted, but I'm still going to praise you. I'm going to give you thanks, God. I'm going to sacrifice to you. I'm going to pay the vow that I told you that I would, because what? Salvation, here's the last word of his prayer, salvation belongs to the Lord. Only God could save me. And dear friends, only God can save us. Salvation belongs to God. He's the only one who's able to rescue us from the sea of our selfishness, the ocean of our sin, to meet us in that place and to deliver us in that way. And recognize here that Jonah gives thanks for the fish. He's thanking God for saving him with this fish. He's not thanking God from saving him from the fish. He's thanking God for the fish. This is a great application for us. Don't miss this. Because you may be going through something in your life right now. Here at Hobson 95th, watch this. You may be going through something in your life right now where you go, this just doesn't make sense. This stinks. This feels really dark. And I don't understand it. But it may be just that thing that God is using to get you to a place of surrender and to get you where you need to be. Jonah gives thanks for it. Because he recognizes that God is using this great fish to save him, to rescue him. And that's his prayer. Salvation belongs to God and to God alone. And then verse 10, chapter 2, follow with me. Maybe the grossest verse in all the Bible. God spoke to the great fish and it vomited Jonah up into the dry land. And at least we could say this, right? That it beat the alternative, for Jonah, right? Sometimes deliverance is messy. Sometimes God's rescue plans are messy. But it's about God getting you where you need to be. And sometimes it's not pleasant. 
Sometimes it's not a, a, a pleasant experience to get where God wants you to be, but God is about the work of completing the good work that he has begun in you. And God has a good work for you. God has something laid out for you that he planned long before you were ever born. And God is about the business of getting you to be the person that he wants you to be and the place that he's called you to do it in. That's what's happening for Jonah here. So Jonah's back on dry ground again. And then maybe one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Ready? The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Second time. Do you know, friends, brothers, sisters, that we serve a God of second chances? And for all of our nonsense and all the ways that we fall all over ourselves and the ways that we're disobedient and the ways we run away, God is still faithful. And the first two chapters, we see Jonah doing just about everything to get away from God. And God is still faithful to him. And here comes God and gives Jonah a second chance. And this is a word of grace to us. God gives us second chances and third chances and fourth and fifth. And if you're here today and you would say, but you don't know, Chris, what I've done. You, you, you don't know. You're right. But I know what I've done. And I know how gracious God, God has been to me. No matter what you've done, there's nothing, nothing that you could do to out the love of God. You pile up all of your nonsense, all of your disobedience, all of your sin right here. Here's God's love. Trumps it every single time. Because he's a God of second chances. And the word of God comes to Jonah a second time. I read a poem by John Piper, a pastor in Minneapolis. And John Piper was recounting this story about Jonah that he was imagining taking place between Jonah and his successor, Hosea. And Piper talks about Jonah and a young Hosea sitting by a campfire and Jonah being old now. And he has this scar Jonah does on his face. And as the campfire is getting bigger, Hosea looks across and sees Jonah and he sees this scar on his face. And finally, after a while, he works up the courage to ask Jonah about this scar. And Jonah begins to tell him the story. The story of running away from God's assignment in his life. The story of being disobedient. The story of God sending this great storm to stop him in his tracks. A story about God rescuing him through a great fish. He tells him the story about God's grace in his life. And then Jonah finishes in this poem by saying these words to a young Hosea. Hosea, who can follow a man far who has no scar? Dear friends, we, we follow one in Jesus who has a scar. He's got the scars to prove his love for you, for me. 
And the scars in your life right now, the scars of disobedience, of choices that you made willfully to choose yourself instead of choosing God, the the choices that you've made in your life to, to run away and God rescuing you back. All of us bear scars, don't we? Piper says, it's through those scars. Watch this. It's through those scars that we see the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus evidenced to us. Who can follow a man far who doesn't have a scar in their life? Because it's through our weaknesses that Christ and his grace and his mercy is made strong. This story is a story about surrender. It's a story about a man coming to the end of himself and coming to the grace and the mercy and the love of Christ and his life. And it's not just a story about Jonah. It's a story about each and every one of us. The bottom line today is this. Jonah is a picture of Christ. It's a picture of Christ to us, of his grace, of his mercy, of his relentless love for us that never fails, it never gives up, that comes after us. Even when we run away, his love never, ever failing for us. That's the God that we serve today. Let's pray together. God, to you alone be the glory. Salvation belongs to you and you alone. Thank you that your grace is enough. It's sufficient for us. No matter how far we've run away, no matter how dark it may feel in our lives, God, your love never, ever fails. You come after us with your grace and your mercy through the cross. Help us tonight through our scars, through our pain, through our struggle to experience you and your grace fresh and anew in our lives. We love you, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.